Hey, welcome to the Hell Has an Exit podcast. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. This show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 833-999-1877 to speak to a specialist. The show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com. All right. Hey, welcome to Hell Has an Exit. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. On this show, we interview a lot of recovering addicts. If you guys can follow us on Instagram, that's where we post most of our stuff and announcements and everything. It's at Hell Has an Exit on Instagram. We have a Twitter. We have a Facebook page. And now we are also live on YouTube. These are on YouTube at Hell Has an Exit. All right. So today I got my good friend, Maddie, Maggi. And uh, I've known Matt basically since I've been clean. You are one of the few people that got here that like when I got clean, you were like a predecessor, you know, still are, you know. But like you're one of the the people that was like, all right, like like this dude's cool. He's got J's on. He's tatted up. He's got a gold chain. You know, you had a pretty girl with you. And like you just made recovery seem cool. You know, it wasn't like what I thought recovery would be like when I first got clean where it'd be like, you know, a bunch of old people just miserable, you know, like you were obviously having fun. You got an amazing message. I always love hearing you speak. I probably heard you speak more than you've heard me speak. So where did it all start for you? I'm originally, you know, I was born up in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. You know, I come from a good family, man. My mom and dad, you know, got divorced at a, you know, young age. Mm-hmm. And I remember I always share about this when I share my story because I look back and and I feel like, you know, this is where some of the dysfunction started in my life, you mm-hmm. know. And, you know, my mom and dad divorced and and my mom was the enabler. You know, my dad was, he was very strict. You know, mm-hmm. he'd been to the military. You know, the story I got was supposedly he was involved in some sort of a robbery or something. And, and back then they said, look, you can go to jail, go to prison or go to Vietnam. And he chose Vietnam and, and the military helped him, you mm-hmm. know, and got him out of his little environment. And I guess that's what worked. How old were you when they got divorced? Two, two, two years old. Okay. But is that when like you think like you started to feel different because your parents were separated? Yeah. I mean, looking back, like didn't not having a stable father figure in the house, mm-hmm. um, I noticed that from doing, you know, a little bit of step work and stuff like that, like looking back on my past, like I feel like that's where some of the behavior started, mm-hmm. you know? I always say, man, like my first, I was an addict before I ever put any drugs in my body, man. I, I My first addiction to me was, was stealing, mm-hmm. you know? It started when I was a little kid. I remember in this area called Greenbelt, Maryland, and I stole like a little piece of gum from the little corner store, you know, and Mm -hmm. I just remember that high of getting over, you know, and that started it. And I started stealing from my mom and and my brother, like little bits of change and Mm -hmm. money. And that's where I think my addiction started to take off. Did you ever get in trouble like at that time for stealing? I mean, I remember- you got away with it for the most part. I got away with it a lot of times. I definitely, I remember one time my brother- you know, figured out that I was stealing change mm-hmm. out of this like little, he was older than like me. Like his bank or whatever? Yeah. And mm-hmm. he got, he got mad, you know, yeah. and, and, and I remember him getting upset with me, but I did it anyway. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it, it, once it started, it didn't stop, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it definitely progressed. Like when I was younger, I remember, 
you know, I had a learning disability and I felt different. You know, mm-hmm. I remember being in school and not being able to read as good as the other kids. And then, you know, reading in front of people, I, I, I really struggled with it. You know, I look back at that time and I got put in like, that was like when like the SLD classes first <laughs> started in school, you know, they didn't really know. And like, I was in special classes with kids that were way off, way worse off than me, you know, that had like other mental illness, you know, issues. And I just remember not feeling like I fit in and, mm-hmm. you know, not going into the regular classes with the regular kids at school really affected the way I felt. I even remember like some of the kids, like, like I said, some of them are really, you know, pretty bad off. And there was a few of us in the, in the class that were like, you know, we were somewhat normal kids, yeah. you know, and we'd end up standing up for these kids that had like some of them, you know, had some serious mental illness, mm-hmm. you know, and other kids in school were mean and they would tease them. They tease us too, you know? Yeah. I definitely had that complex. Like you'll hear addicts say it all the time. Like they never felt like they fit in, man. I I Mm -hmm. never felt, you know, good enough, even to this day, you know, Mm -hmm. it's still, it still comes up in my life, you know? Yeah. My, my mom ended up getting a job down here in Florida and we ended up moving to North Miami when Mm -hmm. I was like eight years old. Okay. And, uh, I lived there for about a year or so, you know, I acted up a lot in that time. I remember looking back now, like I have kids and like I look back now and like the things that I was doing on a daily basis was not, I would say, normal, you know? And <laughs> like what, you were drinking and smoking already? Yeah. I had yeah. already like started smoking cigarettes. I had started, you know, drinking a little bit and I was doing what I saw. You know, my mom was single. She had parties at the house. My mm-hmm. mom always worked two jobs for many years. So her second job used to be a bartender. So she always had like full liquor at my mm-hmm. house, seeing them smoking and drinking. I knew, you know, when they'd go out yeah, back yeah. with weed, I, I knew what it was already at eight years old. You mm-hmm. know, I was just doing what I saw in my environment. When your mom would catch you smoking, would she like flip out on you or is she just like roll her eyes or whatever? I don't know. I I can remember a time when I was very, very young and I remember I was looking at the cigarette. She was yeah. like sitting there doing her makeup uh-huh. and she goes, Go ahead. Wow. And I remember I hit it and it and, and the cigarette and it made me cough, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I did it anyway. Yeah, yeah. You know? I, I got in a lot of trouble that year when I was eight and mm-hmm. um So my, what happened with your dad? He was just he was still in Maryland? He lived in Virginia. Okay. And and I would go see him, like visit him in the summertime and like Christmas time, mm-hmm. you know, when I wasn't in school. Yeah, that whole year, man, I got in a lot of trouble. And I, I always say like, I didn't have him close by, so I really started acting out, you mm-hmm. know, cause I didn't have to deal with him, you know, in his yeah. discipline. My mom, after that year, she ended up saying she couldn't control me and I was out of control. And she said that she was gonna send me to live with my dad. So that's what she did. Like, we got a saying, like, wherever you go, there you are, Mm -hmm. you know? And I I ended up going back down there with my dad. And I remember still getting in trouble, still stealing, still Mm -hmm. smoking cigarettes, still doing the same thing, you know, at that age. And um, I'm definitely grateful for the time, those few years that I stayed with my dad. When I was 11, you know, I had come home from summer, I was home on summer break, you know, from school and I visited my mom in Florida and then we ended up going to, uh, you know, went back up to Virginia to my dad's and I was only back for a couple of days. And, and I remember he came home from, from work that day, he said he didn't feel good mm-hmm. and, uh, ended up having, he thought he had the flu and he ended up having a heart attack and passing away. Like right in front of me, I was, wow. you know, I was 11 years old. Um, so he was sick at the house and then he was saying that he didn't feel good and then he had a heart attack in front of you and died? Yes. 
He wow. literally came home from work that day. Um, he actually played golf that day. Mm-hmm. He liked to play golf. Came home. He said he didn't feel well. He's, I remember him telling me, "I think I got, I think I got the flu." And I remember him splashing water in his face mm-hmm. at the sink. And then he went and sat on the couch, and and I guess he had like a massive heart attack. Wow. And um, you were by yourself. Yeah, I was. You like, had to call the cops and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. It was, I always share about this, yeah. you know, whenever I, I share my story, you know, I used over that. I had a lot of feelings of like, did I do the right thing? You know, did I react quick enough? Mm-hmm. And the truth of it is I was 11 year old kid. I had no idea what to yeah. do. You know, you, no kid is supposed to be, no you know, in do. that situation. Yeah. And I held on to that for many years mm-hmm. until I did some step work and like processed it, you know? After that, my mom, you know, sent me to, she, I remember, you know, again, not feeling like I fit in, man. She told me like, you're not crying enough. You're not mourning this enough. Mm -hmm. She sent me to like a psychiatrist, Mm -hmm. a psychologist and, you know, all these people I talked to and, you know, I was just a kid, man. Didn't know how to feel. Didn't know what, you know, I just lost my dad. I didn't Mm -hmm. know what to do. You feel like the therapy helped at all or you were just like so young, you didn't even know what the fuck was going on? I don't think I knew what was going on, man. Yeah. You know, I was just that young, you know? Yeah. So obviously after he passed, we I ended up moving back to North Miami mm-hmm. and um, I was 11 years old then. And from there we ended up, you know, moving up to, to Broward County mm-hmm. and, you know, right away, man, I, I ended up- Did you up, like Broward more than Miami, more than Dade, or you didn't really care? It's weird to say this when when I moved to Broward, man, it was like there was nothing around where my house was. Like, Where'd you guys live? Flamingo and, and and 595. Wow. And there was no 595. What The highway wasn't even there? No. Get out of here. No. What year was this? 1986. Jesus, 1986. Wow. There was not even, 595 wasn't even built. No. Flamingo. Holy shit. Flamingo Road was a dirt road. No, it wasn't. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Flamingo Road was a dirt road, literally? Yeah, I literally moved. Holy fuck. I moved from Virginia and uh-huh. you think in your mind, Virginia's country. Yeah. And I remember moving to Plantation and telling my mom, why are we moving to the country? Wow. Like it was in the middle of nowhere. Wow. You know, it wasn't developed like it is now. Holy shit. That's crazy. Yeah. I ended up hanging out. You know, I always say this mom knows best. Mm-hmm. And I remember hanging out with this, you know, group of guys that I met at school and they lived just west of my house, you know, in the trailer park. And I remember meeting these guys at school you know, I remember my mom saying, like, you're hanging out with the wrong crowd, you mm-hmm. know? And I was like, you don't understand. They're my friends, yeah. you know? These guys became my boys. I grew up with them. I always share this, man. They None of us had dads. You know, I look back wow, on that all time. of you guys didn't have dads. Yeah, there was, I think out of the group of like 10 guys, there was like two of us that had dads, you know? Uh-huh. You know, looking back at that time, man. I definitely say like we went down, like we did the normal stuff. Like we played football and baseball Mm -hmm. and like went to school and did that. The stealing man started, you know. All of you guys. Yeah, we were stealing bicycles. And then before we know it, we're stealing, breaking into cars. And then, you know, before I knew it, we're we're stealing the cars. Where are you guys? (laughs) So who taught you how to hot hot wire a car? You take the keys. It's funny. Like we, uh, I knew this older kid. Uh-huh. that that kind of talked us through it you know <laughs> and, and we just he sponsored you guys yeah he yeah. sponsored us <laughs> into stealing cars yeah. and then what's funny is we would steal the cars and then we could bring him some parts or you know stuff like uh-huh. that like that's where it started and uh <laughs> i just find this how old were you stealing cars 
like 15 15 stealing cars yeah didn't have a driver's license so back then like what would you would you break the window or would you like unlock it with Sometimes, like a jimmy thing yeah there was a way you could pull the window out and you yeah. know like reach in we reach were in. we were kids so like you know we we're small so you could stick if you could have one guy pull the, the window out <laughs> one guy could reach in and grab the, the lock and then I mean, what, like, how much would you sell a car for like to, like a just, chop shot or you just joyride joyride most of the times <laughs> you know we just destroy somebody's car unfortunately yeah, i remember we'd be like by ikea and you'd yeah. be like oh man we just steal cars and dump them in that lake <laughs> in right the there. lake yeah wow that's funny we started doing that and mm -hmm. you know the drugs you know came in also around that time and yeah i was like every normal kid man started smoking weed and just progressed you mm -hmm. know did did a little bit of everything were you getting better in school or was school still hard for you School, man, I stayed. Math was always good for me, mm -hmm. but the other subjects, I, I didn't like read and comprehend well. So no, I never did good in school. When I was around 15, uh, right before I turned 16, I got in all this trouble, like stealing cars. I got I got brought home in a stolen car by the police at, mm -hmm. at 15 before I ever had a driver's license. So my mom sent me to live with a, with a friend of mine up in Northern Florida mm -hmm. in this town called Crystal River. And uh, I did okay up there. I ended up coming back, man, and, you know, basically just quit school. I think I did ninth grade twice mm -hmm. in uh, two years. I failed one year. I think I went 30 days one year, 60 days wow. another. I was skipping school so much, just hanging out. <laughs> and so uh, I would, you know, beat the truancy officer. I'd go first and second period and then just leave yeah. every day. School just didn't work for me. I tried mm -hmm. to get a GED, never, you know, mm -hmm. did it. And then... uh you know, me and my friends, we started, you know, selling weed and trying to do the the hustle thing, you know, and um, mm -hmm. that's where like I think my my drug use really took off. Did and you I, fall in love with weed when you first started smoking it? Of course. Yeah. I, I said I said for years, man. My buddies will tell you that grew up with me. Like they had tried coke when I when we were like sixteen, uh -huh. and like I wouldn't do it. I knew I was an addict. I remember saying, "I'm an addict. I know if I do that, I'll never stop doing it." Wow. I had How did a, you know that? I don't you know. You just knew that you were like that. You had a difficulty like controlling your impulses. Yeah, I had a, a definitely a fear. Uh, I had a. A cousin of mine, her husband, mm -hmm. um, got on cocaine real bad, and he ended up committing suicide. He he uh, committed suicide, you know, and and that always stuck with me. Like, you know, if you do drugs, you know, I You'll don't go know, crazy, like, yeah. yeah. So I knew that it was, you know, I was an addict. So yeah, around that time, I was living with my mom, selling drugs, didn't have a care in the world, you know. Did your mom say anything, or she was just like, whatever. My mom was the mom that was like, oh, you guys can smoke weed and drink here because I know you're safe, yeah, you know? Yeah. So my house was the hangout. My mom always would cook for everybody. She knew all the kids mm -hmm. in the neighborhood, all my boys. She knew what we were doing, you know? She knew the, you know, the stolen car. She knew all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So she, she ended up met, meeting this guy that, um, you know, was real rough around the edges. You know, his name was Wild Bill. <laughs> supposedly, you know, like he was supposedly in recovery for seven years before he met my mom. And that kind of went out the window. My mom was like, like a functioning alcoholic, alcoholic you know, yeah. he drank mm -hmm. like crazy. And, uh, his name was wild bill. You know, his name kind of <laughs> says it all. He was, he was a handful. He would tell you how it was real quick. Mm -hmm. He, I guess had been to, to prison for trafficking cocaine. And this is somebody that like, 
my mom would never be with. If you if you knew my mom, my mom was not like that. My yeah. mom was very by the book, like didn't, you know, my mom never got a speeding ticket, you know, broke the law. Mm-hmm. She was very by the book. He was very different, man. And he told he told me and my friends, he said, you know, like, you know, all you guys ain't shit. He's like, <laughs> I remember him telling me that, you know, if you continue doing what you're doing, because he knew that I was selling drugs and stuff. Yeah. He said, you're going to end up in prison and end up a drug addict. And he said, all these guys that you think are your friends, they're not your friends. They won't even be there for you. I used to think he was crazy, yeah. you know? Looking back now, like, I noticed, like, he was the first father figure that came into my life that, um, you know, he, he was like the first guy that put down on me, mm-hmm. you know, and said, like, since my dad, you know, like, you're a little punk kid, you know, and kind of just told me how it was. And he was just trying to, like, guide me a little bit you know mm-hmm. when i look back now i did the whole you're not my dad thing and and we just really bumped heads mm-hmm. and um anyways he ended up i knew something was up with him like for like my mom was with him for like three four years or whatever i remember he he started like nodding out a lot you know and i just thought he was drunk passed out gotcha. you know and later i found out like he was doing delatas okay. you know shooting delatas I don't know. I guess it was about a year that he was doing those. And one day, the story I got is one day he couldn't get Delatas, so he ended up going to Opalaka. And and he got heroin. You know, he ended up ODing and dying in my house. Wow. So here it is. Again. You found him? Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. That's crazy. So here it is 10 years later. I'm 21 now. Mm -hmm. I was 11 when my dad died. And so 10 years, you know, goes by. So like I relive all these feelings over again, you know, from my dad, you know, I, I learned that from doing some step work, mm-hmm. you know? So I ended up going off the deep end after he died. You know, I, I saw him same thing as my dad, you know, like found him, mm-hmm. me and my mom and, and, you know, it's trauma. You know what I mean? For There's sure. no other way to explain it. And after that, man, I just, I went off the deep end. I ended up you know, up until that point, I was, you know, I was 21 years old. I had never really done like Coke and heroin or any mm-hmm. of that stuff. And dude, I just went off to the races, man. I, I tried Coke and heroin. I was snorting and within- Wow, right away? Yeah, within six months, dude, I was smoking crack and shooting heroin, you know? Wow. So like, how did you get like introduced to all that stuff? Like, were you hanging around with people that were doing that? Yeah, it's weird, man. Like me and my boys, like we all kind of sold drugs and I had buddies, you know, mm-hmm. that I grew up with since day one that like- you know, they sold Coke and yeah. were selling pills, you know, Percocets. Mm-hmm. And, and like I said, man, some of my, some of my buddies were already doing it. Like I, my buddy that I smoked crack with, man, like he had been smoking crack, mm-hmm. you know, and, and just, I grew up with him and he was just, you know, my buddy's brother. And, and we just ended up, you know, riding out together when. Were you into cars then? Yeah. Or you got into cars later? Yeah, for sure. For sure. I'd always been into cars. Always had. I remember you showing me a picture like, oh, you're low riders. Yeah. I mean. I didn't even know people in Florida had low riders. Yeah, it's funny. I went to this car show uh, a couple weeks ago and they had all these low riders and it was like from Hollywood. And I was like, what? Yeah. And they were like, yeah, we're. I, I, I thought it was LA Hollywood. 25th Street. Yeah. That's my buddies. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 We're at this car show and there was like 25th Street, Hollywood. Yeah. Low rider gang. And yeah. I remember being like. Why would people ship their cars from California to this car show? But it's Hollywood, Florida. Yeah, there's a huge, huge lowrider scene here now. Yeah, I didn't um, know that. What's crazy is because you had one. Yeah, oh, yeah. That's fine. I had a car that was in Lowrider magazine back oh, in really? 
Yeah, back in the day, like 1994. All financed through selling drugs? No, 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 no. Oh, okay. I, I uh, you know, my dad died when I was 11 and I ended up inheriting a little bit of money mm-hmm. when I turned 18. You know, I always say, I, I think I think that I just thought that I was Snoop Dogg or something. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I ended up buying this old car and wow. put triple gold Dayton's and candy paint and yeah. hydraulics. And, you know, that's where my love started with the cars, man. Mm-hmm. I've always since then been into cars you know i built that car and it's just snowballed as i got older you know yeah yeah but yeah i ended up you know trying the drugs and and dude i got introduced to uh you know the court system right away i got caught up in a in a sting and and i got caught you know buying crack and you know i got sent to all these rehabs Mm -hmm. and and i was in i was in drug court for uh, I think it was three years. You're supposed to complete it, I think, in a year or something like that. And I never got out of the mm-hmm. first phase, man. Yeah. I, I, in that, in that three years, <laughs> yeah. In that three years, I, I just never stopped using. You know? Yeah. Did you ever hear about the twelve steps? Yeah. So when I got, you know, introduced to drug court, they kind of, you know, said, "Hey, you got to go to meetings, get your paper signed," and mm-hmm. that's where I started, you know, to learn about. 12-step fellowship, you know, I never believed it worked. You know, I was the- You would go to all these meetings and think they're full of shit? Yeah, I would just go there and get my paper signed because the probation officer said that if I didn't, I was going to go to jail. So I would just go there and get my paper signed and leave. Mm -hmm. I wanted nothing to do with anybody in there. I never felt like I was like any of those people Mm -hmm. and uh, just kind of kept it moving, you know? And, you know, in that three years that I was in drug court, I I went to multiple treatment centers. I did- uh, some rehabs they they actually have like jail programs i did three different jail programs yeah i did sap the Mm -hmm. there was like a a 30 day a 60 day and a 90 day like a atac program or something Mm -hmm. i forget what it was called but uh i did all that stuff you know and i do real well like in the controlled environment Mm -hmm. like i'm i always say i'm a good inmate (laughs) you know (laughs) but you know I always used when I got out. I never listened to what they said. I never would go to like a meeting and mm-hmm. and ask for help. You know, in the end, for me, man, I, I was, uh, you know, I was homeless. So wait, you know, let's go. Like, how did it all progress? So like, at twenty one, you're shooting dope and smoking crack. Mm-hmm. Like, did using needles like scare you at all? Or were you just like, fuck it, whatever. Honestly. I was just like, whatever, man. You know, this girl, (laughs) I snorted for for some time. You know, it was probably six, seven months, you know. Mm -hmm. I'd snort coke, snort heroin. I remember I smoked crack before I, like, really started snorting heroin. I had snorted heroin here and there. The crack would just, you know, it just takes all your money. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I would... would, uh, (laughs) It does. The things that I did to my mom, Mm -hmm. smoking crack, I mean... You know, I joke, you know, my mom gave me a medallion one time at a meeting and mm-hmm. and she like prepared this speech and she said, you know, like she'd catch me G.I. Joe crawling across the her yeah. bedroom to get into her purse, mm-hmm. you know. She would joke that she would keep her keys around her neck like on a lanyard mm-hmm. and I would somehow get the keys to Whoa. go smoke crack, you know, uh-huh. like, you know, I just became like a monster, man, mm-hmm. a slave to the drug. When I tried the heroin, it was like, okay. I could spend ten dollars a day and Be and high, chill and still go to work. Yeah, whatever. and like somewhat function. In the end, though, man, like I'm the addict that can't function. Mm-hmm. You know, I just cannot. So yeah, like I got out of the drug court thing, and uh, I've been to jail. I think a whole bunch, a handful of times. I had been on house arrest. I had, you name it. You know, mm-hmm. I tried everything. Went to these treatment centers that they, you know, court ordered me to, mm-hmm. and and nothing ever worked. I ended up 
burning every bridge here in, in Broward County, man, like friends, my mom, my girlfriend, her family, like I stole from everybody, you know? Mm. And I ended up, my brother is a normie. He doesn't, you know, use anything and he's very successful in life. He took me in and, and I had a buddy that lived up there in Orlando where my mm -hmm. brother lived that lived here that, that we used to shoot dope together. And he was like, Hey, Matt, come to Orlando. You can get on methadone. It'll, it'll change your life. And I tried that. Like I said earlier, wherever you go, there you are. And I ended up, you know, using and stealing from my brother and got kicked out of there. And in the end, man, I was I came back down here in South Florida. I was running the streets. I ended up being homeless, you know, in like Opalaka, Carroll City area. How old were you? I was like 24, 25. Damn, 24 and being homeless. That's so wild. And you know, the saddest part is, man, I always say this, like I had a good home to go to, you know, mm -hmm. like when I started my story, like I come from a good family, Yeah. you know, I just chose to live in Opalaka because the dope hole was right there, <laughs> you know, and you know, back then they didn't have dope here in, in, in Broward. Broward. Yeah, yeah. You, everybody had to go to Miami. That's what it what it ended up doing. And, and every day, all day, all I did was steal. You know, like mm -hmm. I would go to Home Depot or Walmart, Kmart, Best Buy. You could give me a list of stuff. <laughs> and I would, we were, you know, running out the emergency exits, me and my buddy, you know, stealing stuff. And we get like half the price, you know, yeah. for whatever we stole. Every bit of the money would go to, to dope. You know, at mm -hmm. the end of the night, I didn't have no money. You know, I remember going to this corner store. It was like a little shell gas station on, um, eight twenty six and, and 27th Ave. And I remember begging for a quarter from people getting gas, you know, so I could just go get like a little cup of soup mm -hmm. so I could have something to eat at the end of the night. You know, I was like 140 pounds, you know, I was taking a shower underneath a hose mm. behind this guy, Frank's house. You know, he was kind of nice enough to let me stay in his backyard. He had like a couple of old broke down cars. He had like a bigger backyard. Mm -hmm. So he'd let us stay back there. You know, another kid that I kind of grew up with was homeless down there too, you know, and that was my everyday life, man. I ended up racking up a bunch of different charges from stealing. So I had a bunch of charges in Broward and a bunch of charges in Dade. And I just remember, man, when they when they put the handcuffs on me, man, it was like uh like a sense of a relief. Mm -hmm. You know, you'll hear people say, like, I didn't get arrested, I got I rescued. rescued. Yeah. yeah. And that was me, man. And I, I remember feeling like relieved. What was detoxing in jail like? Because I know you probably had like a crazy habit at that time. Yeah, it was it was the worst. Yeah. You know? I, I always say, man, I did 10 bags a day. You know, that's <laughs> where I was at, you know. Plus I was doing 10 bags a day, plus a little Coke and, and, crack. and, and smoking crack, you know, <laughs> yeah. shooting Coke and crack, you know, so it was terrible. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I can look back on those times, man. I did the the detox in jail thing a few times, and by far, man, it's like, it, it's terrible. It's also uh, knowing that you can't get out. Mm -hmm. It's almost a little easier than sitting in your room and trying, trying to Trying to do it, yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah, that was it. I, I ended up going to jail, and uh, I remember... I remember knowing I'm going to go to prison. I remember telling her, I had a girlfriend at the time. I remember telling her, I'm not going to be in here for six months. I'm going away. Mm -hmm. You know, I ended up getting, I got sentenced to two years in prison and I ended up sitting in the county for a long time. And I had I ended up being in the county for almost two years. And then I ended up going wow. to prison, you know, for you were like, in the county for two years. Mm -hmm. I did like 11 months. So for in, people who don't know, can you explain the difference between like the county jail and like prison? <laughs> yeah. Um, County jail, you're just in like a room, like a pod. Mm -hmm. um, 
they have like a pod that has rooms in in there and you but everyone gets their own room there's like tempur-pedic mattresses no not, <laughs> not at all um yeah, it's usually two man. There are some two man yeah. rooms, and then there are some three man rooms. You uh-huh. know, I was uh, I did a lot of time in, in a place called North Broward, and that was uh, you're you're basically just you know you have your own cell, and then you have like a day room they call it. You mm-hmm. know, and there's like some metal picnic tables and a TV. And you know, and, it. and and some telephones on the wall. You know, and everybody's screaming and yelling, and mm-hmm. you know the food's terrible and. You know, if you're lucky enough to have family to send you some money for commissary, you may have like, you know, get some cookies and some junk food to, you, you know, go. eat and have some comfort. But um, also Dade County Jail, I did I did 11 months in Dade County Jail. I was at this one facility they have called Metro West and it's an open dorm. So mm-hmm. there was like 100, 100 guys in just like a huge room. With, with bunks in with, the room? With bunk beds alongside the walls, you know? Okay. And they're just metal bunk beds with these mm-hmm. little, you know, mats that you sleep on. And mm-hmm. it's terrible, you know? It's jail. That's what it is. <laughs> when I went to prison, man, I, I remember saying this, like, it was like you had something to do, you mm-hmm. know? It's the same scenario. You know, they have an open dorm or they have like a T-building, that is what they call it when mm-hmm. you get to prison. I was in both and you get to go to the yard, you know, there's drugs, mm-hmm. you know, I, I got weed right away, you know, when I was in prison. Um, you still don't have any thoughts of getting clean? Nah, nah. <laughs> I even had That's a homeboy. So you were in jail for two years in the county and you still were just like, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's rare. Most people don't do more than that's like that doesn't happen. A lot of people do two years in county. That's no. like some people say they'd rather do like three years in prison than like any day. Yeah, any like, day. Knowing what I know now, yeah. you know when I when I finally got to prison, I had did so much county time that they gave me credit time served for all okay. the time that I had. But I ended up you know being in prison for like seven eight months. Mm-hmm. You know. And prison was way easier. You work every day. I worked in the kitchen, you know, so it keeps you busy. You mm-hmm. kind of get functioning, you know, you get a routine. You know, I just go to the kitchen, work, you know. They have weights the, in there? No, no weights, but we did like calisthenics, like push ups, okay. pull ups, dips, you know, and that's what I did every day. I worked out, went to the yard, a lot more freedom in prison, mm-hmm. you know. You know, I always say this too, man, like even without like a 12-step program, like I started to feel good about myself being away, you know. From the drug. Yeah. Even though you were still smoking weed. Yeah. And I didn't, and then like, don't get me wrong, man, I smoked weed a couple times. It wasn't like I was like, you Chiefing know. it up. Yeah, I wasn't, okay. you can't get in, you know, you could if you have enough money, but yeah. but I, I finally felt good about who I was. I, mm-hmm. I, I could stand up for myself. I, could, I gained a little bit of weight, you know. Um, I started to build a relationship back with my mom and life for the most part was okay. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember, you know, when I got out, man, I did what I always did. I, I I used. And for some reason, man, I always say like, we cross like an imaginary line when we're getting high, man, where it like, it's not getting high no more. It's just like, it's like mm-hmm. a mission, you know, and it becomes a full-time job, you yeah. know? And I knew something was wrong. You know, I don't know. I can't explain it. I think the break from being in the county and prison for so long that I started to feel good about who I was as a person. You know, I started to get back to that real me, you know. And when I used, man, it just, it robbed all my ambition again and took all my mm-hmm. energy. And and I didn't I didn't like the way I felt. I ended up going to to a detox, you know, and trying to, to get clean. And, uh, you know, I had been to this place before and and the the doctor just wasn't having it, you know. And um, 
I was with some girl and he ended up like telling me like, hey, look, we don't take couples. <laughs> and he said, you know, like, give her a chance. You've been here multiple times, you know, wow. you know what to do. And, and for some reason, man, I let her go in and I didn't. And then I ended up going to another place that I had been to before. I had been to this detox like five years prior and there was a tech there. I knew he was in recovery, you know, mm -hmm. and, and just from the way he talked, he had been where I'd been and he basically just like kind of talked to me, man, on my level, you know, and he kind of convinced me to, he wanted me to go to a treatment center. And I remember the specific treatment center that he asked me to go to. I had been there before and it's a locked door. You yeah. can't leave. And I was like, look, I just got out of prison three weeks ago. I'm not going anywhere where there's locked doors. So he had a outpatient program that they were affiliated with. And he's like, look, you can go to this place. And I was like, I was like, that sounds good, man. But I don't, my car's messed up. I don't know how I'm going to get there. <laughs> and he's like, well, we have a, a, com a referral service that'll pick you up every day and bring you here. So every excuse I had, he had the answer. I can honestly say, man, I didn't, when I went to this place, I just wanted to stop shooting dope and smoking crack, you know? Mm -hmm. I wanted to go back to the good old days when I when I drank and smoked weed and just Did chill. some ecstasy at yeah. the club. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the good, you know, fun times. I've only done ecstasy in a club like one time and I smoked crack right after. But like when I got clean, I would keep thinking that like, man, I wish I could just like be on ecstasy at a club. That's what my brain tells me. <laughs> That's never happened, so. I ended up going to this... Uh, this outpatient. Mm -hmm. And I can honestly say, looking back now, like I, I, for the first time in my life, I said to myself, I've used in every facility I ever been in, even jail, prison, mm -hmm. you know, treatment centers, everything. I've always figured out a way to use, whether it be psych meds or get something smuggled in or drink or whatever. So I said to myself, I need to give myself a chance, you know, let me, let me give this a shot, you know? Mm -hmm. Because I knew if I kept using, I was going to end up in prison for a long time. I had like a, a pretty lengthy record. And, you know, they told me the last time I got in trouble that I was violent habitual offender. And if mm -hmm. I get in trouble again, I'm going to get 15 years or more. And that didn't sound appealing to yeah. me, you know. So I gave it a shot. And for the first time, I, I honestly said in my mind, not not lip service to my mom or my girl or my mm -hmm. friends, you know, I'm going to give this a chance. So I, that's what I tried to do, you know, somehow or another, man, it like one day turned into another day, you know, and, and I kind of got clean, you know, I ended up going to a 12 step, you know, meeting and outside of that treatment center. And, um, my life kind of took off, you know, I kind of did what they told me to do in those mm -hmm. meetings. I slowly, but surely, like I ended up getting a job the day I got out of IOP, I never worked in my life, really. You know, I always sold drugs, mm -hmm. you know, or when in my addiction, when it was real bad, I was the guy that would work one place for one week or two weeks. As soon as I get my paycheck, I'd go smoke go crack cop, with it and yeah. they'd, they'd never see me again, you know? So I had a little experience in everything, mm -hmm. you know? So I ended up getting a job, man, working construction for this guy. And, uh, you know, I was like remodeling houses and, mm -hmm. and busting my ass every day. And, and you know, I think I made like $7.50 an hour, you know, mm -hmm. and it was just a piece of humble pie that I needed and it kept me busy. I try to tell all the guys that, you know, are in recovery now, yeah. like, look, in the beginning, stay busy, get a mm -hmm. meaningless job that, you know, doesn't require any stress on your end, you know, mm -hmm. and, and just worry, focus on your recovery. You know, scoop ice cream, construction, yeah. pizza, like something basic as fuck. Yeah. 
Yeah. No stress. Most of these guys want to come into recovery and like... Call center. (laughs) (laughs) Start a business. Open a halfway house. For sure. It's insane. It's insane. It's crazy. I know, because I tell... Because when you tell people to take it slow, they're like, oh, I got to make up for all this lost time. And and they start looking at everyone else. And, you know, they got a haircut, you know. Man, they have so much energy put, put in the wrong place. For sure. And I'm always just like, you know, the you know, turtle wins the race. Like, I just see a lot of rabbits, yeah. you know? And it's like that slow and steady mentality, that cockiness. Oh, I'm not going to use. That's the first person to use, you yeah. know, like that. Oh, I'm never going to get high. Oh, da-da-da. You know, it's like, I don't know. You know, you only have so much energy when you really focus it. People underestimate how much energy it's going to take to stay clean and how much energy can be put into recovery. They think if you went to the meeting with all the guys from the halfway house, they did everything they could. But it's like there's meetings, there's calling your sponsor, there's reaching out to people that are your predecessors, there's reading the book, you know, getting a service commitment, so much more things. And they kind of just feel like, well, I bought gym shoes. I don't need to go to the gym. Yeah. I definitely like in that beginning phase, man, Mm -hmm. I, I got with the right sponsor, you know, and I got, I had a group of guys that like, I had this one guy mm-hmm. in particular, you know, like he had been to prison for a long time mm-hmm. and I related to him, you know, cause I was literally like about, you know, a month or so out, yeah, you know, and if it wasn't for those guys, man, I don't think that I would have stayed clean, you yeah. know? And like I said, I started working and, mm-hmm. and, and recovery started happen happening without my permission. You know, I started, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy, man. Like, you put down the, the drugs, you know, and take that away. It's like, I, I try to tell people all the time, you know, like addicts are great people, mm-hmm. you know, they're just bad. We're just bad when we use drugs. You yeah. know what I mean? It really is like the most genuine people I've ever met are in recovery, mm-hmm. you know, and they'll do anything for you to help you, you know, but that first year, man, I, I don't, I don't know what happened, man. I didn't do everything they told me to do, but I did most of it, you know, and mm-hmm. I didn't use, and I just went to meetings. What was recovery like back then compared to now? It's way different, man. You yeah. know, like in the meetings, there was a lot more old timers. Mm-hmm. You'll hear people say now, you know, like it's the easier, softer way. Yeah. You know, and they like, they used to tell us, you know, like work the steps or die, motherfucker. Yeah. You know, and it was harsh. Like they didn't say it like jokingly. It was <laughs> like, you know, serious, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, you'll hear people say like, you know, go to raise their hand and try to talk and their sponsor <laughs> would tell them like, hey, man. We don't want to hear from you, you know. You <laughs> now know, some sit, kid will cry. Yeah, yeah. sit da- sit down and be quiet. You know, mm-hmm. listen. You might learn something. You know, and like exactly nowadays, like these, you know, a lot of these guys, you know, they get offended by everything. Yeah. You know, I came in on the ass end of that. You know, I've been clean for a while. You know, mm-hmm. and how many years you have now? Eighteen years. Eighteen. Damn, that's sick. Yeah. Thank you. Wow. So it was different. Mm-hmm. Way different. A lot more old timers. People were were more. Uh, I always say addicts are controlling, you know, they controlled the meetings differently. You know, they ran the meeting. They didn't let the meeting run itself, you mm-hmm. know, and, and things were just a little different, you know? Yeah, I feel like a, like back then, like the people with clean time ran the meeting and the people with like little clean time kind of, part- and like you maybe may be able to share one or two things, right. but that was about it. Now I feel like a lot of old timers, even like myself, sometimes when I go to meetings, I don't really feel like sharing. I kind of let the other people share, you know, because I don't know. I, I don't know what's happened in like, like, I used to share every single night, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then over the time, I've just kind of like, I sit back more. I don't share at every single meeting. Yeah. I don't share that much in meetings anymore like I used to, you know, but sometimes I feel like maybe I should, you know? Sure. I remember my sponsor used to tell me I would 
he would say, hey, what meeting did you go to tonight? And I would say, I went to this meeting. It sucked. He said, what'd you participate in? Mm -hmm. You know, what'd you bring to the meeting? I didn't share for years. Now I'll share, Mm -hmm. you know. I try to be available, you know, to the new guys and mm-hmm. let them know recovery works, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it was a lot harsher back then, though. hmm Yeah, so I ended up working that first year construction, and I think for the first time in my life, I started to learn a little bit of, like, responsibility and integrity. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd never done any of that. You know, I definitely chased my recovery like I chased my drugs. Mm-hmm. You know, I would work all day and go to meetings. Yeah. You know, my home group at that time was a 10 o'clock meeting at night. And, you know, I was out till midnight every mm-hmm. night of the week, you know? Yeah, I was talking to my boy the other day and he's like just getting clean. And I was like, yo, I'm going to go to this meeting. We're going to go out to eat after. He's like, oh man, I worked all day. I'm tired. I'm just like, and it's it's hard because I don't want to be that guy like super pushy and like judgmental either. But it's like, you thought, like, what did I do all day? You thought I like, just like slept in all day. Like I worked all day too, you know? Yeah. And it's like, I'm grateful that in early recovery, I took it really slow because I've instilled and ingrained habits. Like it's a habit for me to go to meetings now. You know, I might not go to five, six a week, but I still hit three meetings a week. You know, me too. I still, me and, too. and like, it's very, like, you, you don't need to like twist my arm to go to a meeting. Like if you hit me up and like, you want to go to a meeting tonight, I, you know, I'll, I'll go. You know, it doesn't take a lot of um, convincing for me to go. If, like, someone's going, I'll go with them, you know? Yeah, I think for guys like you and me that have been clean as long as we have, it, it just, we built that foundation in the mm-hmm. beginning. And and I definitely, you know, that first year, that's where I learned yeah, that. You know, sure. They say go to 90 meetings in 90 yeah. days. I did 190 meetings yeah, in 90 days, you sure. know? I went to meeting every single day for years, and it's like... If you struggle to find the time in your first couple of years clean to go to meetings, you ain't going to find the time later, you know? So no. it's like, this is the only time where it's like, you're going to build those habits and what you do in your first couple of years clean is going to really set the tone for like later on. And I've seen some people like take it easy for the first year or two and then like tr- dive into the steps or whatever, but it's really rare. Most people don't even make it, you know? Yeah. You know, my first year, that's what I did is I I jumped into the Mm -hmm. steps. Conventions, whatever. Conventions. I had a sponsor. You know, Mm -hmm. I I realized, like, I remember looking back, like, saying, wow, people really have fun. Like, I went to a convention. I was like, these people aren't on anything, like nothing. And they're out there dancing Uh and hanging out. Did you go to the spiritual retreat? Of course. Yeah. 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 I don't think I went to the spiritual retreat until I was like a few years clean. Yeah. But I, I think I went like... 14 years I'm telling you, man, since we haven't had it, like, I've been off. I swear to God, like, the spiritual retreat is the one thing that, like, no matter what's gone on in my life, I'm not going to miss it for the world. Like, work has been super busy. I've been dating somebody. I've been, like, traveling, whatever. But, like, there's been something about the spiritual retreat in the Keys that has just made such an impact on my life that is, like, uncomparable to any other retreat or convention, you know? For sure. Yeah, they're having trouble finding an area yeah. to keep us. So that's why it hasn't been yeah. put back on. Yeah, so all those things, man, I mm-hmm. started to realize I could have fun in recovery. And I remember one of my first spiritual awakenings was, you know, I worked all week, mm-hmm. got paid on Friday, and, you know, Monday I had money, you know, mm-hmm. I, that started to feel good. And then I did, I did the retail recovery thing, you mm-hmm. know, where I'd buy sneakers yeah. and clothes and... I thought that was important to me, you know, and it was, you know, because for a long time, man, I was homeless, you know. And that's the only, that was the only indication that someone wasn't on drugs. (laughs) Like the only 
indicator that you didn't use was that you had jewelry. Like if you had like a bracelet or like nice clothes, that meant to me that you were clean. Sure. So I just felt like if I wanted to show people that I was clean, I had to like put on all this shit and like mm -hmm. buy all this clothes. And when you get clean, you don't have nothing. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, and then you get that rush from buying the sneaker or whatever, you know, in the beginning. But I remember I was at a meeting once and uh, there was this lady who, she must have been like maybe, I don't know, 50 years old. And she was wearing all this jewelry, like a fur coat or some shit. She was like from Boca and she had like, you know, nine months clean. And she's like, she raised her hand and she was like, I just realized it don't matter how much clothes I buy, I'm still going to feel empty. Mm. And when she said that, I was like, damn, this lady's sharing my story. And then she started sharing. I was like, wow, I'm going through the same thing right now. But everyone goes through that. There ain't, For sure. There ain't, there ain't an addict who ain't going to go through that. You For know? sure. Even today, man. Today, like, I, I still, yeah. You definitely try to fill that hole, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. Especially early in recovery, you yeah. know? I would buy sneakers and sneak them in the house, you know? Like, my girl <laughs> wouldn't know that I had a new pair of sneakers. I used to pawn my laptop and my iPod to go buy clothes that were, like, on sale that week and then have to save up to get my stuff out of the pawn shop. <laughs> So I remember going to the pawn shop, like, I thought that was normal mm -hmm. until I started dating some girl and I told her, she was like, what? Yeah. Yeah, I just thought going to the pawn shop was like a normal thing that people do. Yeah, also, I remember, you know, like they told me in the beginning, like, stay out of relationships mm -hmm. and I didn't listen to that. Um, yeah. I ended well, it up, worked out in your favor. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. I yeah. ended up getting with a girl and... uh you know, it's looking back now, man, like I think I had seven months clean and she got pregnant mm -hmm. and, you know, I didn't, I didn't know if I wanted to stay clean the rest of my life. I wasn't like completely sold, you know, yeah. on recovery. I was still like kind of teetering with mm -hmm. my old ways yeah. and had did some, you know, staying clean, living dirty stuff. And yeah, I've sold drugs clean multiple times. Yeah. Me too. You know, you know, not really thinking it was like, <laughs> yeah. To me, it was like no different than someone doing a pyramid scheme or something. For sure. It was like no different than someone selling like vitamins or something. I was just like, oh, well, you know, I just middleman the deal and made a couple hundred bucks, like no big deal. Yeah. Same thing happened to me. Something mm -hmm. similar, you know, and, and, you know, luckily I didn't use, you yeah. know, but yeah, I ended up with this girl. She got pregnant and, uh, you know, like I said, I, I didn't know if I wanted to stay clean. I didn't know if I was responsible enough to take care of myself, more or less a girl be a dad, and yeah. a, be a dad and have a son, you know, or, or you know, a kid. I didn't know, you know, I, I, I had no idea. And I look back now and that time, man, it like, it kind of kicked me in gear to like be mm -hmm. a little bit more responsible. I ended up getting a job at like a treatment center right after that. And uh, I think I had a year clean the day I got a job at this treatment center. And from that day forward, man, I can't explain it. Like I started, I always worked like a full-time job. Mm -hmm. And then I always had like something on the side. I started like buying cars and, yeah. and selling cars a little bit. Yeah, that's like how I know you is uh, everybody knew cold me. AC. Yeah, everybody <laughs> knew me. Yeah, so like, yeah, it's like, like my introduction to you was like, Matt, the Godfather, you know, like, you know, you had cool Jordans, you know, you had like, you know, Steph and like, I, you know, you had your son and like, it was just cool to see that there was a guy in recovery that was like super solid, you know, because there was people in recovery that like, I don't know, there was just something that like, wasn't like, you know, you couldn't trust them all the way it felt. Not that you couldn't, but like, I just didn't, you know? And there was just something about you where like, everyone just had something good to say about you all the time. And you had probably like five years clean at the time. 
you know, there was something about you that was like, like this dude's a super solid dude. Like he has a crazy story. He's been to prison. Like he's been clean all these years. And like, you know, you'd be four wheeling and mudding and like flipping cars or whatever. And you would see that like, even though, you know, we're clean, we can still use that hustle mentality in the right way and still, you know, do things to have fun and make money and hundred percent and still live life, you know? Yeah, I remember realizing that, and I tell all my boys that I grew up with, mm -hmm. I'm like, all the ways we used to hustle with drugs, you could do the same thing clean, yeah. but with something that's legit, legit. you <laughs> yeah. know, like cars. I mean, it's yeah. it's the, I, I tell people this all the time, mm -hmm. I'm selling drugs. I have re-up money. That's all it is. <laughs> yeah, you know, you, you have 2,000 bucks, you make 3,000, you, you know, it's just, yeah. it's re-up money, you know? Yeah. When I was in California, I remember one of my cousins was asking me like how I got into Coke and I was like, well, you know, really what interested me about Coke was the margins because with weed, you'd have to sell so much weed to make 200 bucks. But with Coke, you can make that off like four grams and you could cut it. You can't cut weed. Right. And my dad was just listening to the conversation. Like, <laughs> I was probably just getting clean. I had like a year clean. And my dad was like, he was an entrepreneur early on, you know? It's really the same thing. It's sales, marketing, and, and connections and networking, you know? For it's sure. really no different than um, anything that's legit. The thing is, is that when you're using it, it's not worth it no like money is worth going to prison for the rest of your life and yeah. recovery it's like you know the risks are so much less and the rewards so much better it just makes sense so then what happened after you've been clean like two or three years yeah, i mean i just i was working i had you know we had my son mm -hmm. and then uh you know we ended up having another kid and you know like i said like I became like like a family man, mm -hmm. you know, like I started realizing like what was most important to me was was my family, you know, mm -hmm. and recovery, you know, obviously. And I just kind of adopted what I learned in the rooms, you know, and and started, you know, I, I met other guys that were dads that were mm -hmm. good dads. And, you know, like I met guys that weren't like running around on their girls and and like you know, being faithful and like, mm -hmm. I didn't know how to do any of that, you know, cause I came from this other life, you know, now I started recovering without my own permission, you know, mm -hmm. doing a little work, obviously going to the meetings and having the sponsor and doing all that stuff. And one day, you know, it just, it, every day it just gets better. You know, I have this thing, man, like since I've been clean, my life has literally every year, like mm -hmm. I've had ups and downs. I've had good times and bad times. I've experienced death. I experienced all these things. My life just gets better every year. Mm -hmm. You know, like I can, I can be down in the dumps and I kind of look at like what I have today is like, you know, the peace of mind, like just not waking up every day, not being dope mm -hmm. sick, you know, not having to like figure out a way I'm going to get, you mm -hmm. know, 20 bucks to go get one bag, yeah. you know, to be on sick or just to get another one, you know, like having a place to, you know, lay my head, you know, a hot shower. All these things are so important to me, you know, mm -hmm. today with the time that I got clean, just the little stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, my life, my life progressed, man, being in, in recovery, you know, and working and different job opportunities. And, you know, I've always, I've always been like a little bit of a hustler. I, Everybody knows me back in the day. I used to buy cars and junk yeah. cars. And, you know, I started cutting grass. I did all kinds of stuff, man. Mm -hmm. Scrap metal. Yeah, I remember you cut grass and did pools. Yeah. Right? 
Yeah. That's funny. I've done, I did pools, you know, mm-hmm. ended up opening halfway houses, you know, and just had businesses that mm-hmm. have done good, you know, and, you know, I don't think I've, I think it's like almost nine years I haven't worked for nobody, you know, and, wow. and my life is, is good, you know, like yeah. I'm not, I'm not a millionaire, but like we, we have everything we need, mm-hmm. you know, there's, my girl said this to me one day, she said, she said, our kids live way better than we did, you know, <laughs> for and, sure. And I'm yeah, and one thing like you know, not to uh, you know gas you up too much, but like you know, you could really tell how someone is by their kids. And man, your kids are so well mannered. Like uh, it's really cool to see. Like like you know, I've met your kids a whole bunch of times. Yeah, and it's like, dude, your eldest kid will come over to my house, sit in the corner, and like start reading a book. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like crazy to see. And and to me, like it's cool because a lot of times in recovery, you kind of just see people's kids off the chain or like they're using or whatever. And, like, it's a, it's a good message that, like, you know, you can have, like, you know, a regular family and break the cycle, you know? Yeah, I always, anybody who's hear me, you know, that hears me share my story, like, I always say, like, I'm breaking that cycle. Mm-hmm. And, like, to me, if there's one gift that recovery gave me, it's that, you know, like, I, I always share, my kids never see me use, mm-hmm. you know? And I don't say that to separate myself from somebody that used around their kids or whatever. I'm yeah, the guy that'll, that. yeah. I'm the guy that'll smoke the Xbox. You know, today. <laughs> yeah. If I use today, I steal mm-hmm. I steal everything from yeah. them. You know, that's who I am. Like I shared in the beginning of my story, like they don't see like how I saw my mom. So they don't mm-hmm. see me, you know, smoking cigarettes, drinking, mm-hmm. disappearing for days, or arguing. Me and me and my my girl, like we don't we don't have those issues that, you mm-hmm. know. I would if I was using, you know, so like I'm breaking that cycle, you know, not to say that my kids aren't kids, you know, like my little one has done stuff, you know, at his age, it is what it is. They're kids, they're going to explore, you know, and they're, they're not guaranteed not to, you know, become addicts and Mm -hmm. and get in trouble. My job is just to be a power of example, you know, and be there. Yeah. And be there for them. Hey, well, I appreciate you coming on the show. I love you very much. Like I always say, like you're, you know, I was talking to someone the other day and they brought you up. I was like, dude, one thing about like Matt G is like, he's just a solid dude. You could call him and say, yo, like we got to go bury someone in the Everglades and he'll be like, I'll be there, bro. You know, like you're just really somebody that like, I've really felt I could depend on. You're a great example for like me when I was getting clean. So Thank I appreciate you. you, bro. Thanks for coming on the show. Hell doesn't have an exit. Thank you. This show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 833-999-1877 to speak to a specialist. The show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.